What's going on guys? Sam Adams here and welcome to another episode of Cabinet today for December the 13th of 2018. My name is Samuel Adams and welcome to today's show. Now, for those that are brand new to the show, welcome on in. This is a daily gaming news podcast where I let you guys know what is going on around the gaming industry and fill you in on the biggest news of the day. And today has been a sort of kind of slow news day except for fans of Metro Exodus because they have very much to be thankful for. In fact, Metro Exodus, the next game in the series, is going to be released one week early, which is unprecedented in today's gaming culture, except that it's not really, but still, it's a significant big move. However, on top of that, we'll be talking about the YouTube Rewind 2018 officially becoming the most disliked video on YouTube ever, which is still kind of nuts to me. On top of that, Twitch is selling Curse Media after just two years of ownership. Valve's Artifact has lost almost 80% of its player base since launch. Detroit Become Human has sold over 2 million units, while Mega Man Legacy Collection has sold 1 million units. The series first in 15 years. That's shocking to me. We'll talk more about that. Konami has launched a free-to-play version of Soccer Sim PES 2019. Nintendo NES and SNES Classic Mini Consoles will not be restocked after the holidays. Planet Side is transforming into Planetside Arena featuring Battle Royale and a two wow that's a lot of people hold on 250 versus 250 mode that's a lot uh, arriving in January and finally we get a full view of what Sonic looks like in the upcoming movie and so we will talk about all of that and more however before we dive into that I did want to address something that you might have noticed if you follow along on the Twitch channel or you might not have known I even stream this on Twitch which it is live five days a week Monday through Friday 7 p.m. Eastern time if you want to catch the show live however over the past six months or so I have been going by the handle Samuel Adams live and it's been fine for me I didn't really think twice about it just because it seemed to be a pretty good way you know to get my name out there and, and do things however what I didn't realize is that whenever streamers see you in a chat that comes off as very self-promotiony and I didn't I didn't connect the dots there and so whenever I would type in a chat nobody would reply and I got really sad and I was like why why am I not being replied to and I realized today that it's because I look like I'm mooching off of their success by having live in my tag that was never the intention I promise I'm not that kind of human garbage but I changed it back to the Samuel Adams because that's what it originally was and the name was available yet again so I'm glad to say that we're back home to where we began and for those that haven't been following along Twitch has been a wild ride in 2018 for yours truly we began the year with affiliation uh, we moved on to having a midlife crisis in the streaming world where I went to 18 different platforms in the course of two weeks and then we ended up back on Twitch where I had to change my name to something called fully wired which is essentially a, an idea that I had where instead of a individual streamer I would become a media company and it would be a future forward-thinking thing well that name sucked so we ended up changing it to Samuel Adams live and now we're here so there's your lore of the day for the channel if you were curious about it but you're not here for a lore podcast about some individual that host a podcast you're here for the gaming news and so without further ado let's go ahead and dive into the news of the day first off Metro Exodus brings its release date forward by one whole week which is pretty significant if I do say so myself 
The train is ahead of schedule. Metro Exodus is leaving its chilly cocoon and launching a week earlier than scheduled, arriving on February the 15th. That's also a week before Anthem, which it previously shared a release date with. In the meantime, you can watch the eerie title sequence above, which has been released, and you can watch that on your own time if you would like to. But Exodus is a bit of a departure for the series, sending Artyom out of Moscow's haunted underground and into the world above. It's a trek on foot and by train through forest and tundra as Artyom searches for a new home. It's bigger and open, which is a pretty big shift for what used to be a claustrophobic corridor shooter. It changes the pace. It leans into these survival elements more, and the bullet economy has been replaced by the ability to craft ammo out of scrap. You need to venture out and explore potentially walking into traps, and that is pretty much what you will get. Now, Tom over at PC Gamer checked it out in August, and while he was impressed by the atmosphere and attention to detail, there was some tension between its survival ambitions and its legacy as a corridor shooter. And you can watch the Metro Exodus preview gameplay if you did want to get more info on that one. However, this is a pretty impressive looking game. I will admit that I'm not a big fan of Metro. I've tried to sit down and play, I believe it was Metro Last Light, and I just couldn't get into it. Now, with the impending release of Metro Exodus, I might sit down and give it another shot. We'll see what happens. I believe that I have them both on Steam, and hey, with the new graphics card, why not go ahead and give the game a run for its money? But with Metro Exodus, again, big departure for the series, a lot more open uh, when it comes to the layout of the entire map that you're working with, and it's a pretty impressive looking game, as I said, one of the best from last year's E3. Now, with that being said, very wise decision to go ahead and move away from Anthem because, in my opinion, Anthem, although it is a big new game, is still going to decimate whatever else comes out alongside it. Uh, but now, February the 15th is very packed as well. And, of course, I cover all these gaming new releases on the drop every single Monday over on the YouTube channel, so I kind of keep up to date with what's coming down the pipe just so I know what I'm dealing with. And February the 15th is going to be a beefy day for video game releases. Uh, but needless to say, now that Metro is on February the 15th. That is going to be the biggest release of that day. And then Anthem following that. And then Division 2, I believe, coming out just a couple of weeks after that. A lot of big games crowding around the spring uh, slash late winter kind of session in early 2019. So we'll see how all of it shakes out. But in my opinion, a pretty good move overall. I think it was a wise decision from those guys behind the scenes over there that are on the development team of Metro Exodus. Again, a week early, that's not even any, anything to really complain about. That's just that's just good. You can't really even get mad at that. It's like, what? I don't have another week to save my $60. I'm like, no, it's a week early. Not even anything bad about that. However, if you did want to check that out again, coming out on February the 15th of 2019, you can check out Moscow's Above Ground instead of Moscow's Underground. Could be pretty cool. On top of that... Moving on to the next story of the day, YouTube Rewind 2018 is officially the most disliked video on YouTube, and creators have helped to explain why. You don't have to dig too deeply into that, but to say that this year's YouTube Rewind didn't go over well with the YouTube community would be quite the understatement. This year's Rewind, an annual video made by YouTube that's supposed to encompass a year in YouTube culture, is officially the most disliked video on the platform. It has more than 10 million dislikes, overtaking Justin Bieber's 2010 song Baby, which has just under 10 million dislikes. While it took Bieber's video approximately 8 years to rack up that dislike count, YouTube Rewind beat it in closer to 8 days. Ah, YouTube. 
What a what a lovely cesspool of, of people there. It's quite a feat and a fascinating case of how an innocuous video used by YouTube's marketing team to appeal to advertisers can have an adverse effect when it doesn't put the community first. Since YouTube Rewind was first published on December the 6th, the backlash has been loud and constant. Creators who start in it, like Mark K. Brown Lee, have addressed the controversy. While other YouTubers work on their own versions of Rewind, they view as more authentic. The backlash directed at YouTube for this year's Rewind boils down to a growing disparity between the platform's true creator culture and the polished version that YouTube wants to present. Quote, I think the problem with YouTube Rewind, at least how I see it, is pretty simple actually, Brownlee said in a video. YouTubers and creators and audiences see it as one thing, and YouTube, who is in charge of making it, sees it as something completely different. A YouTube representative issued the following statement to The Verge, saying that dethroning baby and dislikes wasn't exactly our goal, end quote. Honest feedback can suck, but we are listening and we appreciate how much people care, the representative said. Trying to capture the magic of YouTube in one single video is like trying to capture lightning in a bottle. We also learned that creating content can be really hard, and this underscores our respect and admiration for YouTube creators doing it every day. Keep the feedback coming, and maybe we'll release a top 10 list of Rewind Dislike Reaction videos. To understand why Rewind really affects creators, it's important to understand how the video was first presented to the community in 2011. The first year YouTube decided to create a recap video, Rewind was narrated by Rebecca Black of Friday Fame. The entire thing was a breakdown of the 10 most watched videos, a straightforward highlight reel of what was popular without any glossing over strange, controversial, or otherwise less savory behavior that YouTube might want to hide. Between 2011 and 2014, YouTube Rewind was on the same page as its culture. It incorporated the biggest moments, most influential creators, and funny memes that the community also celebrated. Things really started changing in 2015 when YouTube went from amateur DIY platform to an entertainment staple, but the most noticeable grievances began in 2017 and continued into this year, 2018, as YouTube backed away from creators it previously highlighted. It's a facet of the divide between YouTube and its community that commentator and anchor Philip DeFranco gets to his video, uh, about the backlash and so we could go on more and more and they begin to talk about PewDiePie and the issue and controversy surrounding him right now which I don't want to get into and on top of that KSI and Logan Paul and the big fight that was one of the biggest news stories of the year both in the entertainment industry and also in general uh, it was covered by major media outlets which is insane to me. However, getting back to the point at hand, the YouTube Rewind, again, breaking the record for the most disliked video on YouTube. And I think that the quote uh, from Brownlee here is the biggest thing that we can focus on, because right now what you're seeing is the YouTube is trying to be something that advertisers can get behind. They're trying to be something that is family friendly in a way. They're trying to be something that is accessible for everyone. When the community behind the scenes, they're watching stuff that is completely and totally different. And quite frankly, YouTube can't take down that content that people are watching because number one that keeps people coming to the platform and number two that's kind of going to be one of those things that if they did take down the content that they didn't want on the platform it would be in a way called a violation of freedom of speech even though they can decide what they put on their own site uh, it's a very complicated issue but overall YouTube is trying to morph into something that is less toxic in a way uh, because YouTube can overwhelmingly be very toxic if you allow it to be you can definitely see uh, some negative aspects of the internet culture coming out through the most popular video site. 
Now, with that being said, it's an incredibly powerful tool, uh, one that is being used by millions in many different ways every single day. I use it completely and totally differently than Ninja uses it, for instance. It's just a tool, and they're trying to figure out how they are beginning to grow into this new version of YouTube. And I think that it's a very difficult uh, thing to address. It's a very difficult situation overall, but right now, uh, they're just beginning to have growing pains, and they've been experiencing this for a while. So I personally liked YouTube back in 2013, 14, 15, those years, I thought those were the golden years of YouTube. There was some good content here, and that's originally whenever I started wanting to be a YouTuber, when I started to want to create content. Uh, it was that culture that brought me in to what we're doing here today. I loved the amateur versions of what YouTube used to be. Now, it's very polished, and it is what it is. That's just kind of what comes with the, you know, way that it's grown. However, if you did want to watch the YouTube Rewind, I, number one, would not recommend it, but number two, we'll have it linked in the article, which is linked down below in the YouTube video if you are watching that version of the show. Ooh, it was rough. I'm not even going to lie. I didn't make it through the entire thing. I got just enough cringe in the first about minute and a half before I just couldn't take any more. However, moving on to the next story of the day, a pretty big one in my opinion, Twitch sells Curse Media after two years. Wiki hosting service Fandom, formerly known as Wikia, announced today that it's currently in the process of acquiring Curse Media, which hosts a collection of gaming websites. If the name sounds familiar, that's because Twitch purchased Curse back in 2016 for an undisclosed sum, not only for its network of websites, but for its Curse client and in-game voice chat application, which were relaunched last year as the Twitch desktop app. Quote, we have signed a definitive agreement to acquire Curse Media from Twitch Incorporated, including all media assets and employees, a fandom rep confirmed to Kotaku. While the details of the acquisition were not made public, it seems possible uh, the possible motive for the sale may be fandom's desire to consolidate with Gamepedia, a competing wiki community that attracts an average of 133 million monthly unique visitors. Kotaku reported back in September how some community members running fandom's wikis were considering a move to Gamepedia due to fandom's intrusive autoplay ads, which could be a contributing factor into the company wanting to acquire Curse. The company says they expect to close the deal in early 2019. This is kind of a big deal. I think there's a lot more that is going on behind the scenes here. But I understand where they're coming from with this, because number one, Twitch wanted to get rid of Curse without a doubt. Uh, whenever they purchased Curse, the intentions were great, because they wanted to create a hub for Twitch itself. And whenever you heard the term Twitch desktop app being thrown around, the first thing that came to the minds of many people was this is going to be the ultimate way to watch streams on your desktop. And I was very excited whenever they announced it at TwitchCon, and I was one of the first people to download it, and I was talking to the devs, I was in the chats, and overwhelmingly it was just curse with a purple skin yeah that's pretty much what it came down to be now there were a couple of benefits of having twitch as the launcher installed of course if you did have uh, amazon prime then did you know you also have twitch prime and if you have twitch prime you get a lot of benefits number one you get a free subscription every month you've heard all this spiel but what i want to focus on is the fact that you get free games uh, a lot of games came out for free over the course of the past couple of years and those were automatically loaded when you redeemed them onto the twitch launcher once you add those in the launcher, uh, that was essentially in the Twitch app, and so that was the reason many people kept it installed, and it was a fine, you know, piece of utility for that, but overwhelmingly, it just was not something that I would want to, number one, communicate with teammates with, number two, watch Twitch streams on because the website itself is so natively good. Uh, there's a lot that was going against the Twitch desktop app, and right now, I don't know how many users it has, but 
as Discord rose, people needed Curse less. And once it was bought out by Amazon slash Twitch, there was no need for it to be around. And again, this is all just my opinion, but I feel like there is also some validity in that. Uh, but we'll see what happens with Curse Media over the next few years. I know that at one point I was actually signed to them uh, whenever I was on YouTube or whenever I was beginning to get bigger on YouTube, if you want to call me big now. Uh, but I originally signed a contract with Curse. I was one of their creators. We broke that off, so it's not really an affiliation anymore. But I still wanted you guys to know what was going on behind the scenes with that. But again, we'll see what happens with them right now. The Twitch desktop app. Could be facing some troubles, but again, we'll see what happens. However, we are facing some troubles within Valve's Artifact, which has lost almost 80% of its player base since launch. Valve's CCG slash strategy game, that's a hard combination of letters and words to say, Artifact has seen a steep decline in the concurrent player numbers in the few weeks since its launch. Artifact officially launched on November the 28th. A day later, the game had its highest ever concurrent player count on Steam with 60,740 players, comfortably landing it at Steam's top five. Being Valve's first new game in years, the CCG rightfully attracted a lot of attention from fans of the genre and those looking to see what Valve has been cooking all these years. Unfortunately, since then, the Artifact player base has been declining. In the last 24 hours, according to Steam Chart, the game had a peak of just 11,596 players. At the time of writing, around 7,000 players are currently in-game. CCG is a niche genre, so it's understandable that Artifact isn't able to pull in Counter-Strike Global Offensive or even Left 4 Dead numbers. That said, the community's response to some of Valve's decisions around the game has not been great either. Artifact today has a mixed rating in Steam reviews, with many lamenting how expensive it is to be competitive in it. It's possible the game can bounce back, but this likely won't happen without some core changes or a free weekend. Valve could also decide to make it free to play entirely just like it recently did with Counter-Strike Global Offensive, but until such time, it seems however most have already forgotten about artifact you might even say it's an artifact haha -ha. there you have it the comedy that people come back to the podcast for but i think that this number one is a little bit misleading uh because number one as they do say the ccg genre is niche it is not something that everybody wants to jump in and play it is something that is gaining popularity especially with the rise of hearthstone of slay the spire of magic the gathering uh, becoming more and more mainstream However, I also believe that many games see a decline whenever they do launch, just because, quite frankly, a lot of people go back to the staples of the gaming industry. A lot of people go back to what is comfortable for them, and many people don't really like playing new games for an extended period of time. If you don't grab somebody and reel them in, you're going to have a rough time keeping them in there for the long haul. Uh, but with that being said, I think that also the fact that it is so riddled with microtransactions, uh, it makes people a little bit scared to jump back into the game after they have gone ahead and stepped away from it because it is as they said in the article so expensive to literally compete with other players that are good in the game now needless to say there are going to be whales as they call them in the microtransaction world that do support the game by pouring hundreds and hundreds of dollars into it uh, but many people quite frankly aren't that interested there are cheaper alternatives in the same genre and quite frankly a lot of people don't have that kind of money so whenever you're combining all these factors it's really no wonder why the game has lost 80 percent of its player base in just about a month less than a month even wow 
way less than a month actually it's not a surprise to see this kind of thing happen will it come back again a free weekend could definitely boost up some numbers but when it comes down to it i think the back end of the game is going to have to change drastically before more people jump in and give it a shot because quite frankly as i said people don't want to get into a game where there is a sharp wall even if it is an invisible wall where you are going to have to start paying for cards paying for packs whatever you have to pay for in the game before you can literally do well with it so we'll see what goes on with that, but as for right now, not looking good. However, you can still find a match, of course. So if you did want to jump in and give it a shot, I'm not saying the game is worth it, without a doubt. But if you have 30 bucks laying around, which I think is what it costs, uh, then you can go ahead and give it a shot. Actually, let's see what it costs right now. I'm curious, because we need to figure out, so you guys can know, 20 bucks. If you have 20 bucks laying around, there you go. You can jump in and see if it's something you might be interested in, after all, even with its relatively mixed reviews. However, moving on to the next story of the day, a game that is doing fairly well in my opinion, Detroit Become Human has sold over 2 million units worldwide. That's a lot of people. Quantic Dream announced earlier today that Detroit Become Human has sold over 2 million copies worldwide on the PlayStation 4 since its launch back in May. This is big for Quantic Dream, who tweeted the news and thanked players for their support in reaching the milestone in just 5 months. In addition to exceeding 2 million copies sold, Detroit, excuse me, Detroit Become Human, I can always say Detroit or Become Human, there we go, has also become the fastest selling title for the studio to date as well, which is pretty impressive considering how long it took for previous games to reach a similar milestone. This is the third Sony exclusive title released by Quantic Dream with Heavy Rain launching for the PS3 back in 2010 and selling over 3 million copies by 2013. Beyond Two Souls followed in 2013, selling 2.8 million copies by 2018. And so, Detroit Become Human is a hit and blow pro in the chat. Number one, hello. Number two, is a big fan of this game. Not one that I've actually played. I've been holding off playing this one until I've had more time to dive into it. And also, I'm not really big into this storytelling kind of atmosphere, but it is a game that I do want to play. Because, number one, Quantic Dream can tell a good story. Number two, the game looks gorgeous. Uh, when it comes to facial animations, this game did them well, of what I have seen on many gameplay videos that I have watched. So... I'll be diving into this one shortly, probably over the holiday break, but as for right now, it's doing very well in terms of sales, again, with Heavy Rain launching for the PS3 back in 2010 and taking three years to sell three million copies. I don't know what the sales are like now that it has been ported to PlayStation 4, but again, three years to reach three million, now just a couple of months, and in my opinion, a lot of this is because of the fact that Sony did push this heavily towards the beginning of the year. There was a lot of marketing money thrown behind this game when it was first coming out, and that was something that actually shocked me back then. I was kind of surprised to see that more and more ads were being thrown behind this game, more and more people were trying it out, and uh, more of an effort was being given than I expected. So I think that had a lot to do with the game doing so well, and of course, many more units are going to be sold because it is dropping in price drastically, so I am very excited to see what happens here. Interesting fun fact in the chat from BlowPro, one of the actors became a big streamer after the game came out. Huh, you never know what could kick off somebody's streaming career. You never do know. But hey, if you guys want to dive in and check out Detroit Become Human right now, probably on sale for the holidays, I would say. Again, as we talked about yesterday, GameStop is having a large sale on a lot of items, and this one might be one of them. But you can always check your local listing and see if it is going to be affordable for you. You could be one of the next million to make it three million. Who knows? 
But a game that's also doing pretty well in my opinion, shockingly not that great as compared to what I thought it would be doing, Mega Man Legacy Collection sells 1 million, a first for the series in 15 years. Capcom's Blue Bomber Mega Man might feature alongside the All-Star cast in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, but things have been quite rough for him over the past 15 years. According to Capcom financial data dating back to September, the Mega Man Legacy Collection, which debuted on the Switch earlier this year and prior to this on multiple other platforms, has now sold 1 million copies worldwide. This is a rather significant feat as there hasn't been a Mega Man release to reach 1 million sales mark in 15 years, even though there have been more than 50 games released in the long-running series that first started out on the NES in 1987. In case you're wondering, the other games in the series to reach 1 million sales include Mega Man 2, Mega Man 3, Mega Man X, and Mega Man Battle Network 4. That last one kind of took me by surprise, originally released on the Game Boy Advanced back in 2003. The 1988 release, Mega Man 2, still has the highest amount of sales, shifting a total of 1.51 million units. The most recent release in the Mega Man series was Mega Man 11 in October, and during an interview with the fanside Roxman Corner, the game's producer Kazuhiro Tsuchiya nailed it. As I always do, said the team wasn't even sure about the post-release DLC support for the newest entry in the series. While Legacy is technically a collection, we can only hope its sales milestone is enough for Capcom to continue pumping out new games, or at least uh, encourage them to seriously consider DLC for the 11th mainline release. Uh, number one, uh, this is not going to be a big problem. I believe that Mega Man is going to be around for a very long time, because quite frankly, it's one of those icons. Mega Man is just such a pillar of the gaming industry, especially when it comes to platformers, that I believe there's always going to be some kind of money put behind Mega Man, because you can't have the gaming industry without it, or at least not in the same way that you have it today. So I don't really think that it is going anywhere. Uh, but it is shocking to hear that this is the 1 million mark, a first for the series in 15 years. That is crazy that over the course of 15 years, there has not been another Mega Man game that has sold over 1 million copies. That just blows my mind, in my opinion. Uh, but with all of that being said, maybe we'll see DLC for the 11th edition of Mega Man, or even maybe a Mega Man collection later on down the pipe that combines some of the more modern titles. I know that there was the Mega Man Legacy Collection 1, and then there was 2. I'm not sure what games are included in both of those. I've talked about them both on episodes of The Drop. But again, so many games come out, I've lost track. So we'll see what happens with the future of Mega Man. But I always believe there's going to be money uh, in Mega Man, in the same way there is money in the banana stand. Arrested Development. You need to watch it if you have not. It is totally worth it. But for those that don't have money to buy any of the games that I have been talking about, good news! Konami, an evil company, has launched a free-to-play version of the soccer sim PES 2019. The game includes My Club Mode, PES League Mode, and an offline exhibition matches. Looking for some football action without forking over the full price for FIFA? Konami announced today that it is releasing PES 2019 Lite, a stripped-down and free-to-play version of its soccer simulator for Xbox One, PS4, and the PC. The focus of the light title is My Club, a game mode that allows players to assemble super squads of their favorite footballs past and present. Footballers? I believe it should be footballers. Unless you're talking about literally the soccer ball. Whatever. Favorite footballers past and present. The mode includes optional in-app purchases, which may be how Konami plans to make its money with the free-to-play game. I would say you're probably right on that one. 
In addition to my club, PES 2019 Lite also includes the ability to play offline exhibition matches and play through skill training exercises. A mode called PES League, which allows players to take part in 3v3 co-op matches and participate in time-limited tournaments, is also available for Lite players. PES 2019 Lite continues Konami's tradition of offering up a version of the game to play for free in order to boost interest. The PES franchise has lost basically all of its luster and trails FIFA in popularity by unfathomable amounts I love that word. Good job, author. Uh, UK company Chartrack reported sales of PES 2019 were down 42% compared to 2018, and the franchise took a major blow this year when it lost the license to include the Champions League content for future iterations of the game. And we talked about that on a previous episode of Caffeinate. Hold on, I need to get caffeinated real quick. Ooh, hold on, another one. Oh, wait, another one. Man, that's good. It's good coffee. Uh, but PES 2019, this is a game. I don't know why this exists. Uh, FIFA is doing so well. The game is a stellar example of how a football game or a sports game in general should be. It's a very impressive title and one that I completely and totally stand behind. Now, PES, uh, quite frankly, does not look that good, but with the light version, I guess it gives players an option of where they want to spend their time, and it's cool to see it is going to be a free-to-play game, even though it is going to have a couple of microtransactions. Uh, we'll see how fair those end up being. Of course, Konami, I don't know what their track record is with microtransactions. I know they have them in the past, and I don't know how they were received, but as for right now, if you did want to dive in and check out this year's soccer game, then you can dive in and check out PES 2019 Lite coming to the Xbox One, PS4, and the PC. Again, big year of loss for PES because of the Champions League content, which is essentially a big chunk of what modern football does offer. So, again, we'll see if this does redeem them next year whenever 2020 inevitably comes out. Uh, but I don't really have faith, to be quite honest with you. There is no reason why anybody could not just play FIFA. To be quite honest, there is no reason at all why you couldn't just play FIFA. I, I just do not understand. Again, I believe it was cheaper when it first came out, but maybe not. We'll have to see how it all goes down. Again, available now if you did want to dive into it. Before we move on, Spike Tiger says, man, I could listen to you for hours. In the future, when I'm on a commercial, I would love to have that in cursive with a citation pointing to you, my friend. Thank you so much and welcome to today's show. But moving on to the next story of the day, one that took me by surprise, Nintendo NES and SNES Classic Mini Consoles will not be restocked after the holidays. Nintendo has reiterated that you may not be able to get an NES or an SNES Classic Mini after the end of the year. Both of Nintendo's Classic Consoles, the NES and the SNES Classic, have typically been supply constrained. Though Nintendo eventually pumped more stock into the market, the Mini Consoles are nowhere near as available as the Switch, for instance. The holiday shopping spree always helps Nintendo shift hardware units, but it looks like this year will be the end of the line for these consoles. Quote, we have also been clear that, at least from an American's perspective, these products are going to be available through the holiday season, and once they sell out, they are gone. And that's it, Nintendo of America President Reggie Fisame told THR in an interview. What's more, Fisame said that Nintendo has no plans to release a classic mini system in the future. Going forward, Nintendo Switch's online classic games program is how Nintendo hopes players will be able to continue playing the classic games. In the same interview, the head of Nintendo said that he believes Red Dead Redemption 2 skipped the Nintendo Switch because of timing, not for any concerns about power. Oh, okay, Reggie. 
whatever you say, my good sir. Uh, but if you did want to get an NES Classic or an SNES Classic Mini, you should get one ASAP. Uh, now, I know that in my neck of the hood, there are plenty available. I can go into any Best Buy and literally they're stacked up in stacks of five on top of, of everything. Like they're literally everywhere. But in some more densely populated gamer heavy areas of the country, I could totally understand where these might be a bit low. So if you did want to get one for collection purposes, for playing purposes, whatever you might need to get one for, you should check them out before the holiday season does wind down because it looks like they are going like hotcakes according to the guys over there at Nintendo. Could be a marketing scheme. They could be completely and totally fine when it comes to stock and they just want to sell them because that's what's going to be happening with the PlayStation Classic because it's very underwhelming. I'll tell you that right now. But that's a story slash video for another day. If you want an NES Classic slash an SNES Classic, then you better dive in and get them while they are hot or at least lukewarm, maybe room temperature. I'll give it room temperature. However, moving on to the next story of the day. Thank you for the host. Planetside Arena featuring Battle Royale in a 250 versus 250 mode arriving in January. This is a story that took me by surprise in the middle of the day. Daybreak Game Company. That name sound familiar? Probably should. Makers of the Planetside Games and H1Z1 has announced Planetside Arena, a match-based multiplayer FPS that will release on January the 29th via Steam. At launch, it will feature two modes, a 150-player battle royale for solos and teams of three, and Massive Clash, a group-versus-group -group battle with 250 players on each side. More modes are planned post-launch, like Team Deathmatch, Capture the Flag, and others, but you can check out the announcement trailer above for a look at the new sci-fi shooter. Planetside Arena isn't an early access game and it isn't free to play. It'll sell on Steam for $19.99 and there is a $40 edition detail below as well and will feature seasonal content and a battle pass structure. Again, a structure I am a big fan of. Uh, now, they talked more about what is going to be coming in Planetside Arena with the developer of the game or one of the developers behind the scenes. Uh, but if you did want to dive in again, coming out on January the 29th via Steam and it's not an early access game. A uh, very shocking announcement here for me. I did not expect this or see this coming at all, but it's one that I can kind of get behind because right now, Daybreak is not doing well with H1Z1. And to be quite honest with you, even if they made H1Z1 a fantastic game, if they brought the experience back up to be a stellar gameplay experience with great netcode and all the other issues that are going on with it could be completely and totally forgotten, it's still called H1Z1 and it will forever be a negative term in people's minds when it comes to BR. Now with Planetside, that's a little bit different. People have fond memories of Planetside. And again, Planetside 2, I believe the servers got shut down on, but I could be wrong about that. Uh, but when it comes down to it, people love Planetside. And so to see a BR game coming to Planetside uh, with the giant scale of the game, that's something that I think people might want to see. And again, they do fantastic work when it comes to the way the game looks, uh, the way the game plays overall. There are so many good things to have behind the scenes with Planetside that I can't help but be excited about this game. Uh, also, as a side note, glad it's not releasing in early access because that is just going to be an inevitable bad PR release for them if they ever do put another game in early access because of what happened with H1Z1. Uh, so again, 20 bucks will get you access to Planetside Arena, which is beginning to become something you might actually want to keep on your radar. Again, we'll see how it goes. It could come to PC first and then consoles later. Uh, again, BR is something that is constantly evolving, constantly growing and changing. Who knows what it could eventually become. And again, as we saw with Fortnite, stuff can just come out of the woodwork and blow us away. You never know what's going to be happening with the gaming industry, which is one of the reasons I love it so much. 
it could totally change on a dime. You never know. I thought, by all stretches of the imagination, if you talked to me two years ago, that PUBG would still be killing it even if PUBG was in the spotlight yet. And now here we have Fortnite, and now here you have other games beginning to rise up. Rise up, gamer. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to say that. But if you did want to check out Planetside Arena coming out January the 29th from the devs behind the scenes of Planetside and H1Z1, the Daybreak Game Company. And the final story of the day. I'm almost okay with this, honestly. It says Gaijin Goomba. It could have been worse. We finally have a look at the Sonic poster the actual Sonic. Okay, so for those that have not been paying attention, over the course of the past few days, we have been getting small leaks about the brand new Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Of course, we saw the release of the movie poster, which showed a silhouette individual with strangely human-like figures. It is weird how accurate this is. Actually, let me look it up. Sonic movie poster. It's gross. Okay, whenever you first look at it, let me see if I can find it. Yes. Okay, fantastic. Absolutely perfect. This is exactly what I wanted. Uh, if you look at this closely, if you're watching the video version of the show, you have a version of Sonic that is grossly human-like. You have a man with hairy-ass legs and arms that is sitting here with a greased-back, disgusting Sonic-shaped head. It looks like a furry mask. Oh, God, it's disgusting. Uh, and overall, it was very unsettling to watch. I love the logo. I will say I love the logo, but when it comes to the look of the character, oh god, it was disgusting to me. And then, and then we saw the legs. We saw the legs. Hold on, I've got to go back. We have to, go, we don't have to go back, but we need to go back. So, the legs issue was something... <laughs> Why? Oh god, it's so gross. Um, where are the legs at? I saw the legs. Uh, I can't find it. Wait, this might be it. Second movie poster. Fantastic. I want to see it. Give it to me. Yes, this is exactly what I saw from Wario64 on Twitter. This is a gross picture of what appears to be Sonic's legs now, which are, again, grossly human-like. Absolutely disgusting, hairy legs that are, to the great observation of many, too far apart to be possible. These legs cannot come together at the base of a torso. It is gross. So essentially, he has the build of SpongeBob with very hairy man legs. I do not understand this to this point. And then today... Today, we actually got the legitimate release of the Sonic poster, which is not actually legitimate. Still a leak, but it's okay now, because now it all makes sense. So now you have Sonic kicking back with what, who I believe is Chris Pratt, if I remember correctly. Looks like Chris Pratt, but he's just kicking back, enjoying life, probably about three foot high, and he looks like Sonic. And all is right in the world. We don't have a man dressed up in a Sonic furry mask. Thank God. So if you are excited about this coming out in November of 2019, I believe, November 22nd, if I remember correctly. And again, will it be good? Probably not. Could it be hilarious? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I might see this one in the theater. Just kidding. I am not going to see this one in the theater at all. But it's a solid rent from Redbox, if anything, or even a watch on Netflix, without a doubt. As somebody who is a okay fan of Sonic. I'm not feeling one way or the other about a specific kind of, uh, of, of statement on that one. Uh, I'm at least morbidly interested in what happens here. So that wraps it up for today's episode of Caffeinate. But before we go any further, before I wrap up the show, Spike Tiger says, sorry I wasn't here at the beginning, but did you see the Charity Bits campaign on Twitch this holiday? Direct relief, 20 cents for every 100 bits. Yes, I did. We talked about it yesterday on yesterday's show, but I don't mind talking about it again today. Right now, if you use hashtag charity in any kind of chat, 
while you're donating bits, Twitch will match every 100 bits with 20 cents. So essentially 20 bits for every 100 goes to direct relief if I'm actually reading that correctly. That's a lot of money going to charity. So if you do donate bits to your favorite streamer, they still get paid. Just Twitch pays out more money to donate to a fantastic cause. So if you did want to do that, by all means, use them in the channels, people. Get them going. And as I said yesterday, for those that might have ordered a hoodie on December the 3rd when there was a sale, you get 1,500 free bits, which could be a pretty good way to support a charity for a good cause. I'm just saying, do something good. Put some good back into the world. But that wraps up today's podcast episode. If you did enjoy today's show, be sure to drop me a like down below if you are watching on the YouTube video. And as I had one time in chat, somebody said, quote unquote, like, and then a lull. I enjoyed that greatly. Uh, but if you are listening to the podcast edition of the show, I appreciate you as well. And I hope that you do click that subscribe, follow, whatever button you need to press to get it delivered to you every single weekday around 7 p.m. Eastern time. I would love for you to do that. But I hope you guys have a fantastic rest of the night. We will reconvene here tomorrow at 7 o'clock Eastern time in the evening for the news of the day. But as for right now, I will see you around and peace.